0: Alright, uh, you got your Bibles this morning. Open them up to Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. The title of this morning's message is The First Foreclosure. You ever moved into a, a new home or. Uh, of course, all of us, we, we uh, have that dream home, that home we're thinking about, you know, maybe a, may a farm or a ranch, uh, some sort of modern architecture, you know, you know that folks think about new homes and, and uh, awesome estates because of how many TV shows there are about it and how many magazine subscriptions there are, you know, uh, many folks, I think, dream of uh, a maintenance-free living You know, you don't have to mow the grass or shovel the snow or maintenance anything on the outside. Wouldn't it be neat if you had a farm like that? A farm that was maintenance free that you didn't have to do all that to? You could have the benefit of the farm but not have to do all that stuff. You know, Adam and Eve, they had all that. They had it all. They uh, they uh, They lived in paradise. That's what God prepared for them. Uh, in the beginning. And that's how He created it. As we look at the days of creation, the Bible tells us that uh, when God created everything, that when He was done creating it, He said that it was very good. Uh, God prepared for Adam and Eve uh, a great home, a great place to live, a great environment, a perfect environment, matter of fact. And um, you're there at... uh, Genesis chapter 2, look at verse 8 and 9. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there He put the man whom He had formed, and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now skip down to verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that you eat thereof thou shalt surely die. God created paradise. God created uh, the garden of Eden for Adam and Eve. And this was going to be a... A wonderful place for them. And I don't know how much time passed that they got to experience uh, the presence of God. The Bible says that God walked with them in the cool of the day before Satan came along and and began to tempt them. We know the story how the serpent came along and tempted Adam and Eve and tempted Eve to, to eat of the fruit that God told them not to. And we understand that because of sin, sin brought the curse, and sin has consequences. You know, God, God in His love uh, tried to protect Adam and Eve from self-destruction with the truth. Uh, he told them what not to do, and really their, uh, their commandments of what not to do was not that hard. Uh, There in paradise, having everything, everything provided for them, a great place to live, and a great place to, to raise a family, and all those sorts of things, they had one commandment, not to eat. But Satan was able to package sin in such a tempting way, you know, that they purposely disobeyed God, and they purposely disobeyed the truth. We know that from that point on, Satan, he's cursed. We know that the woman, the Bible says, she's going to have pain and childbearing. Ladies, that was Eve's fault. <laughs> Blame her. We know that from that point on, Adam, he was going to have to, to work uh, by the sweat of his brow in order to eat. Uh, in order to survive. If he didn't work, he wasn't going to survive from that point on. From that day on, there was going to be, the earth was going to have, uh, uh, it was going to be cursed. And the, 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 it was going to take hard work in order to bring forth fruit and hard work to, to bring forth uh, a living. And, and, and there was going to be thorns and thistles, the Bible says, and all these things. You know, we're, we in America, we're blessed with an abundance of food. But still, even in this great blessed nation, you still have to work. Or someone has to work to buy the food. Someone's got to pay for it. It's got to be harvested and brought to us somehow. In many places around the world today, there are folks that work all day long just to be able to provide for the food that they're going to eat and their family would eat that day. You have your Bibles open there to Genesis. Look at Genesis uh, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 23. The Bible says, Therefore the Lord God set him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Can you imagine this day? Could you imagine how sad of a day that this must have been for Adam and Eve? The day that they were driven from their paradise, the day that they were driven from their dream home, the day that they were pushed out, the day that they uh, that their that their paradise was foreclosed on. You know, you see the foreclosed home that there's those those. Uh, uh, I see those bank uh, papers in the window. I don't know exactly what all they say. But those cherubim, those were the first ones. Said, so "No way. This is this here." Uh, this has not been paid for. this is not able to be accessed been pushed out what a what a, a sad effect of sin on this first family as they began to lose their home and lose their paradise and lose their dreams that they really they didn 't know how good it was, did they they didn't know how good it was until uh, until they didn 't have it until it was gone, and then they begin to realize how hard it was going to be to survive from that day forward. As Adam began to have to plant his own garden and till up the ground and pull out the rocks and weed it out and work hard just to bring in a harvest. We know that the effects of sin uh, just showed itself in a very quick way. With the first two uh, boys being born to a woman, Cain and Abel, we know that Cain was a murderer and he killed his brother. The Bible says that he was sent away, The Cain was sent away. Can you imagine Eve? You know, I don't know where Adam and Eve lived after they left the Garden of Eden. I can only imagine that they may have, would have been easiest to maybe go into a cave somewhere. Maybe they made a mud hut somewhere. I don't know what it was, but they had to work somehow to make something, some sort of shelter. Before that, the earth wasn't cursed. They didn't have to worry about the shelter. Now they had to get out of the elements. And I don't know, but I guess it was probably a little bit dark and a little bit dingy. And I I think that, you know, so many times people don't appreciate us talking about the dangers, the consequences, the wages of sin, the payment for sin. But I guarantee you that if one of us were to walk up to Adam and Eve many years after the fall of man and begin to interview them wherever they were at, they would have told you that sin has a very high price. That sin has a very high cost. As you can imagine Adam coming uh, back from the field after working all day and sweating and hoping, hoping that the weather cooperates with his harvest. And you can imagine Eve's broken heart. Can you imagine Eve's broken heart after she lost one son in the... She lost both her sons in one thing. The devastation, the depression, the darkness, the heavy hearts, the whole dark side that they'd never seen before because of this foreclosure. This was a broken family. Adam and Eve became a broken family. It was a broken home. I think that Adam and Eve, if we were there... Uh, interviewing them that they would say, hey, we wish, we wish that we would have listened to the loving words of our Father. He only told us that to protect us. He only told us that to keep us safe, to keep us in that great place where He brought us. Those cherubim were constant reminders, constant reminders that their home was foreclosed on. Before Cain and Abel became grown, you can only imagine that maybe every now and again that they went by the old neighborhood. They went by the old paradise. Maybe Cain and Abel said, hey, why can't we live there anymore? Why can't we go back in that great place? Look at, look at, look at the Garden of Eden. Mom and Dad would have hung their head and said, we can't go back in. We've been foreclosed on. The cherubim won't let us in. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. There is a payment for sin. There is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The bad news is there was a foreclosure. But the good news is, is Jesus Christ came to offer us this paradise, to restore paradise, to restore paradise in our hearts. You know, He, became, he took death for us. So that we didn't have to, that that He was able to conquer death, that He was able to kill death, that He was able to destroy death for us. Christ did that. We know that there's going to be a millennium, uh, 1,000 years where Jesus Christ will rule and reign from Jerusalem on the throne of David, and He'll begin to restore this earth to those days like the Garden of Eden. The Bible says the lion will lay down with the lamb. That'll be a good time to be there. I can't wait for those days. But not just 1,000 years during the millennium. The Bible says that the Lord, He's preparing a place for us that it will be an eternal paradise. Amen. An eternal paradise because of Jesus Christ. Look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Here's the first prophecy that we'll find in our Bible about Jesus Christ. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 God says to the serpent and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. You know what he was saying? One day they'll be born of the seed of a woman. They'll come from a woman, a a man, a human. God, God became man. God was human. He was in flesh just like you and I. And you know what He did? He responded to Satan's lies, and He responded to sin. He responded to it with becoming our Savior, becoming our, our, our payment for sin. Without it, my goodness, it would this world would be dark without the answer of Jesus Christ, without the answer of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it would be bad news on top of bad news. But you know what? Jesus Christ came to bring good news on top of bad news. The Bible says in Romans 8, 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. The Bible says that who the sons shall set free shall be free indeed. Jesus Christ came for us to be set free. Set free from this foreclosure. Set free from the, the bondage of sin. Set free from the penalty of sin. You know, to be guilty, to be uh, condemned to sin, that's a, that's a bad That's a bad situation. That's a bad place to be. But Christ came to free us from that condemnation. Christ came to take sin upon Himself so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be justified and freed from it. Take your Bibles and turn to John, John chapter 14. Christ came to restore and to set us free set us free from the effects of sin. John chapter 14 and verse 1. The Bible says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so... I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into myself that where I am, there you may be also. Isn't that good news? Think about that. You know what happened? The fellowship between God and man was separated because of sin. The fellowship between God and Adam and Eve was broken because of sin. I believe that God created us to fellowship with Him. I believe that God created us so that we can have a relationship with Him. But sin breaks that relationship. Sin breaks that fellowship with the Father. that's so sweet, so precious, and really what we were created for. But Jesus Christ says that He is preparing a place for us that where He is there, we can be also. I don't know uh, completely what heaven's going to be like. The Bible tells us a lot of great things about heaven, uh, shows us a lot of good things, but I guarantee you wherever Christ is, that is paradise, isn't it? I mean, when we're there with Him, when we're there with uh, God Almighty, when we're there with uh, God that uh, forgave us and redeemed us and bought us back from the penalty of sin, that's going to be great. Look at verse 4. He says, and whither I go you know, and the way you know. And Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how we can know the way. In other words, Thomas is saying, I don't know where you're going, and I don't know the way. That's a good question, isn't it? I mean, if we're, if we're going to find out where paradise is and how to get there, those are two important questions. Jesus simply says in verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus Christ, He's the way. He's the truth. He's the truth that's going to set us free. He's the way to get there. He is the way to heaven. That's simple, isn't it? I, 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 it's simple, right? The gospel message is simple, isn't it? Sin entered into the world because of Satan. Man chose to sin. Man chose to, to uh, disobey the truth and go against it. But Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to earth to make a way of reconciliation between God and man. He is the truth. And then He gives us life. That's what it means to be born again, right? It's, it's to experience life. It's to experience the life that He created for us in the first place that was stolen from us because of sin. He's given us life. He wants to give us life. Jesus Christ said, I say it so much, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. What a merciful, long-suffering Savior. You know what He could could have said? They chose sin. They chose that way. Just let them go. But in His long-suffering, mercy, grace, and love. What great love He has for us. That He chose to not let it go. He chose to come and make redemption. He chose to come and make a payment for sin. You know why? Because we were foreclosed on and we couldn't pay the payment. There was no way we could pay the payment. There was just no way. There's just no way. There's not enough good works that we could do to pay the payment. There's not enough good things. There's no church membership. There's no, no uh, 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 religious activity that we could do to make the payment. So Christ in His mercy and His love said, I'll do it for you. I'll do it for you. Not only did I create you and give you the original life that was taken and destroyed by sin, but I also make a way to give you eternal life, which is so much better. What a wonderful Savior we serve. The Bible talks about Jesus being the way, and we understand the cross of Calvary is the way that He did it. We understand that it was at the cross at the cross where Jesus Christ paid the payment no longer is there foreclosure on paradise no longer is it impossible for us to enter in no longer is it impossible for us to enter in because the cross of Calvary stands as a stamp over eternity saying paid in full the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin the bible says The cross of Calvary stands for our freedom. <laughs> I think it's interesting how the Romans used the cross as a, as a tool of intimidation, as a tool of fear. You know what I see when I see the cross today? I don't see it as intimidation. I don't see it as, a, as an emblem of fear, but I see it as an emblem of love and an emblem of grace. I see it as the place where my sin payment was made. By the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. As he hung there on the cross, the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 15 that the chief priest, amazing, the chief priest of the tribe of Levi, he and the scribes stood there, and the Bible says they mocked him. The Bible says that he hung there bloody up on the cross in between two thieves. I think it's just significant that Jesus died in the company of thieves, don't you? The Bible prophesied 750 years before Jesus died that He would die in the company of thieves. In Isaiah chapter 53, the Bible tells us that He was going to be, uh, make His grave with the wicked and that He would be numbered among the transgressors. That as he hung there as an offering for sin, and as he took sin upon himself, as he took the transgressions of the world, he would hang there between these two thieves. I don't know that there's ever been a society where thieves are all that popular. (laughs) You know, here in the Romans, uh, you know what they did with thieves? They crucified them. I mean, wow, that would take care of thievery, wouldn't it? I mean, they crucified them. And in a lot of cultures, they are not very easy with thieves. Rebecca told me a story about when she was there in Papua New Guinea about this shoplifter, this guy that was a shoplifter. And so uh, she didn't see it, but her dad did, so I got a hold of him uh, the other day just to fact-check this story, and he said, this is absolutely true. This guy went into a store... And then shoplifted a few things and they caught him. And they took him out from the city square and they beat him. And they stripped him naked and they tied him to the front of a truck and drove him around, beaten like that. And I said, wow, that is crazy. He said, yeah, you don't want to know what they do to pig thieves here. He said, it's a lot worse. They don't live, they kill them. And so in many societies, in many places, thieves are not uh, all that popular and here Christ is hanging on the cross between these two thieves our savior can you imagine that the creator of the world he had all power in heaven and earth and he allowed himself to hang there humiliated bloody broken opened up naked before the world just looking at him and allowing all these folks around to think he's nothing To think that they had the power to kill him. They had no power over Christ. They They were falling right into his redemption plan that had been prophesied for hundreds and thousands of years before. Jesus Christ died at the very moment leading up to Passover that he knew he was going to die since he established Passover back in Egypt. Jesus Christ was our Passover and eternal lamb. I find it interesting that there was two thieves. The Bible tells us that the one thief he joined the mockers. The one, one thief he he you know what I find is interesting about that one thief is how close in proximity he was to the Savior. Not only how close in proximity he was to the Savior, the one that was making the payment for the sin of the world, but how much need he had. For the Savior. And yet, that one thief chose to not only take the payment for sin uh, himself in his body, but he also chose to take the payment of sin in his soul. But there was the other thief. And that's what I want to look at this other thief. Look at Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter twenty three and verse thirty nine. The Bible says in one of the malfactors, malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him. Saying, dost not thou fear God? Seeing thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. You know that's a that's a real good sign of something, someone that's repentant. I believe that we I, I believe in repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what I believe? I believe that we have to come to a point in our life where we say, guilty before God. God, I need a Savior. God, I need You. I, if I got what I justly deserved, if I got what was, what was due me, we don't want what we deserve, do we? We really don't. We want mercy we want grace. We want the long-suffering of God. He says, and we do uh, uh, receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man had done nothing amiss. (laughs) Isn't it interesting who God used to testify of the innocent Jesus Christ? As all these people I can just imagine were down below and mocking him, and as they were parting his garments, the Roman soldiers, there was one there that said, This man's innocent. This man had done nothing wrong. He'd done nothing amiss. You know who he was? He was the thief. He testified of Jesus Christ being innocent. Wow. He said, He'd done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. (laughs) That took faith. Wouldn't you say that that takes some faith? You know, they they had been mocking him that he was a king. Just before that, they put a robe on him, put a crown of thorns and beat it in his head, and they mocked him, punching him, saying, King of the Jews, and just for fun, they nailed above him a, a sign that said that he was king of the Jews. But there was no one that believed he was a king. Chief priests and the Pharisees, the Sadducees and the scribes, they all said, we'll have no king but Caesar. Did you know what he said? He said, remember me, when I not coming to thy kingdom. I guarantee you that Jesus Christ, tripped naked and bloody, hanging on the cross, did not look like a king with a kingdom at that point. That's why none of the disciples were there except John. But this man, he believed not only that Jesus Christ was king, but that he had a kingdom, and he believed in the afterlife, obviously. They were both about ready to die. He said, Remember me when you come into thy kingdom. He admits his, he admits his guilt. He said, I'm a sinner, I, I, I'm getting what I deserve. <laughs> He admits Jesus Christ's innocence. He calls him Lord. This took a little bit of faith. This confession of faith, I guarantee this confession of faith was music to our Savior's ears. You know, the Bible says that every time someone accepts Christ, that the angels rejoice in heaven. Jesus, just the night before, had prayed, God, if it be possible, to let this cup pass from me. But you know what the truth of the matter was? The redemption of man, the forgiveness of man, the salvation of man was not possible without the death of the cross. But now, as this sinner is confessing his sin and asking Jesus Christ as Lord, <laughs> this had to be music to our Savior's ear because he said, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. He says, Hey, no more foreclosure. No more foreclosure. There's no more bars on heaven. Now it's open wide. Now it's saying, come, all that will come, come, come. Now it's open for anyone. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That even means the thieves. That means anyone. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, the foreclosure is no longer there. The bride says, come, the Bible says come (laughs) Jesus says verily I say unto you today thou shalt be with me in paradise truly truly today you'll be with me in paradise that gives a little more meaning to that song there is a fountain What a a great hymn. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. There's a verse that says, The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there may I, as vile as he, wash all my sins away. Christ went to the bank and He paid the mortgage in full. No longer do you and I have to pay the penalty of sin. No longer are you and I condemned because of sin. As a child of God, we are set free. (laughs) Wow, that's good news. Justified, redeemed, forgiven. When He cried out, it is finished, you know what He was saying? Paid in full. The penalty of sin has been taken from us everyone and anyone who will accept this free gift of salvation. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Jesus Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God there on the cross, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You know what he's done for us as children of God? He's made it possible for our conscience to be clean before God. He's made it possible for us to stand here today. Although we know we've sinned, although we know if we received our just reward it wouldn't be good, but we can stand here today and know in our heart that we are not forgiven, that we are forgiven, that our conscience can be clean and clear before God. That's good news. That's the best thing this world has ever heard. It's interesting, the thief was the first one in. I don't know who you let into your house, you were having a party, but the thief, would he be the first one that you let in? You ask this question Are there thieves in heaven? The answer is no. We still call him a thief. 2,000 years later, we call this man a thief. He's not a thief. He's not a thief. He's a son. He's a son of God. He, he belongs in heaven. Why? Because Jesus Christ paid his sin debt. The Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature old things thief liar all those things they're passed away behold all things become new no more thieves he's a son there's no you say I know I've sinned I know I'm this I know I'm that well when you accept the forgiveness of Jesus Christ when you forget when you accept his His cleansing blood on your account you become just a fine, just as if i would never sinned you become righteous with God in other words you're in right standing with God. Wow. What a gift. And it was free? <laughs> I have a simple question for us here. Are you a son or are you a dog? Has there been a time in your life where you've prayed and asked Jesus Christ like this sinner, hey, like this thief. Hey, I'm a sinner. You don't have to convince me of sin in my life. I know I've sinned. And I trust that sacrifice that was made on the cross at Calvary. That bloodshed. eternal blood. Jesus Christ. For my payment for sin. I believe that He died. And I believe that He rose again. You're here this morning. Are you a son? Are you a daughter? Is there a time in your life where that Spirit of God moved in and took your heart and made it its home. Your body became the temple, the Holy Ghost. As a child, as a child of God, how's your home? How's your heart? I think that we can have peace with God. I think that we can have joy with God. I think we can have contentment with God here on earth. I think those fruits of the spirit are there, so that we, in the middle of trouble, in the middle of trials, in the middle of hardships, that we can truly say, "It is well with my soul." We're gonna we're gonna sing a song here in a moment, but I'd to have every head bowed, and we're gonna pray. If you're a believer, follower of Christ, if you're a son, if you're a daughter, you need to pray and say, Lord, help me experience the paradise that you've provided for me. Help me experience the the joy and the peace that you've allowed for me. But if there's one here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, today's the day. Today's the day to accept Christ. Today's the day for salvation. The gospel message is simple. The gospel message is clear. There's no reason not to accept it. If you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let's pray a prayer like this. Lord God, I believe that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sin, that He was buried and He rose again. I know I'm a sinner, and I'm asking you, Lord, to forgive me of my sin, to be Lord of my life, to come into my heart and live. I'm asking you to be my God, to fill me with your Spirit, God. Jesus. Head still bowed. If you prayed that prayer, if you ask Christ to save you, just slip your hand up. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I see that hand. Does anybody else pray that prayer? I see that hand. He said, I prayed a prayer to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. Anyone else? I know that I'm a child. I know I'm a son. I know I'm a daughter. Dearly Father, God, we thank you for those that raised their hand. Lord, we thank you for, God, just your your, your gospel message. Lord, we thank you that you paid our sin debt. Lord, there's no longer foreclosure. But God, we have paradise to look forward to. We thank you for your... Sweet Spirit, that you send us now to teach us and lead us and guide us through life. God, I do thank you for this morning. God, I pray that you bless this song as we sing. I pray that you bless each and every person as they go home. God, that this week we would live in your your presence. That God, we would access that fellowship that was restored. The fellowship that was broken because of our sin. God, I pray that we would access it because of Christ and we fellowship with you and Lord, get to know you better. Seek you. Seek to know you better, God. Help us all to grow. Grow in you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take your songbooks. We're going to sing that page two again. How great thou art. As we sing this, think of the sacrifice Christ made for our redemption, for our forgive me.